Hello, welcome to Dungeon Delving. I'm Brandon Wagner, and today I'm continuing my series of episodes on the classes and delving into the monk. Uh, monk is a class that, in some circles, is looked at as being kind of weak. And when you compare it to the fighter, to the paladin, to the cleric, the sorcerer, it is kind of weak. But the monk is still a very cool class. You can do a lot of interesting things with it, and a lot of it provides for you as a player a lot of tools to give your dungeon master to help them create a world. Um, what do I mean by this? A monk trains at a temple. That's kind of the, or a monastery. And it's kind of the uh, hallmark of the monk. Now, you can absolutely work with your DM and create a world where your monk didn't train in a monastery. And instead of being a uh, monk in the way we think of them, they're more of just a pugilist, somebody that fights with hand-to-hand combat rather than uh, the monastic training. But having the monastery is something that is a great tool for world building. If you're interested in playing a monk, then I think it's definitely worth your time to get with your DM either before or during the session zero and work with them to develop what you're monastery was like because you're giving your dungeon master a place in their world a a place that exists and as a dungeon master it's i feel like it's a really great thing because it gives you a wealth of opportunity to create encounters both role-playing and uh mechanical combat encounters um the monastery, you can develop, you know, what is the relationship? Where is the monastery? Is it secluded? Is it in a town? Is it near a number of villages? What's the relationship it has with the surrounding area? Do the people of the area even know it's there? If they do know it's there, what's the relationship to it? Is it something that they kind of look at with mistrust because the monks keep to themselves? Is it, do the monks go out into the villages to perform good deeds and help the villagers? Is it a place where the villagers of the surrounding area can escape to in case of an invasion or a natural disaster? All these things are things that the dungeon master and the monk player should work on together so that you can help the player develop their backstory and help the dungeon master develop a way to put the monk player's backstory into the game. And... That's really that's really a great experience is when you're able to take one of your players' backstories or an aspect of their backstory and turn it into a few sessions worth of adventure. And the monk kind of has that built in with the relationship to their master, the temple, and uh, just all those those things that come together for the monk's backstory. Now, monk, the features of the monk are all around their martial arts. Well, not all, but mostly. At first level, they gain an unarmored defense ability, kind of like the uh, Barbarian, but theirs is a little bit different. Uh, The Barbarian, their unarmored defense feature activates if they're wearing no armor, but they can wield a shield. Monks can't. Monks have to have no armor and no shield. And the Barbarian, their armor class is built by their a mixture of their uh, constitution and dexterity while the monk is a mixture of dexterity and wisdom so 
for Monk, it's a little easier to get that armored defense because your only wisdom and dexterity are going to be your two primary skills that you really want to have high. Whereas with the Barbarian, you want to have high constitution as well as high strength as well as high dexterity. So it's a little bit harder to have all those stats be really good. But the Monk just needs the two. <clears throat> also at first level, they get martial arts. Martial arts allows them, gives them a few abilities. It replaces their damage die for their unarmed strikes with uh, the martial arts die, which starts out as a one as one d four. At fifth level, becomes a d six. At eleventh, a d eight, and at seventeenth, a d ten. And you can also use monk weapons, which are short swords and simple melee weapons that don't have the two-handed or heavy property. So, your, you use dexterity instead of strength for uh, attack and damage for your unarmed strikes and with monk weapons. You roll a d4 instead of your normal weapon for, or die for an unarmed strike, and that's your uh, martial arts die that goes up. And when you make an attack action with an unarmed strike or a monk weapon, you can use one unarmed strike as a bonus action. So if you attack with a quarterstaff, you can then make an additional unarmed strike. Um, and then uh, the book talks about uh, changing the weapons to kind of be more uh, themed for the Eastern-type weaponry that the monk image comes from. Um, at second level, you get the ability to use key, and as you level up, you get more uses for your key points. Uh, let's say how many you get. Yes, you start with two, and then it goes up every level. So at first level, you don't have any, and then every level after that, you have a number of key points equal to your monk level. Um... You can regain key points during a short or long rest. And you start with three choices for your key points. You have Flurry of Blows, which lets you make two additional unarmed strikes as a bonus action. You get Patient Defense, which lets you take the dodge action as a bonus action on your turn. You get Step of the Wind, which lets you use your key to disengage or dash, and your just jump distance is doubled. So it just kind of helps you move around. Really, Flurry of, the blow, flurry of Blows is the best one. <laughs> uh, you get Unarmored Movement, which gives you 10 feet of extra movement if you're not using armor or a shield. You also gain the ability to run, to run across vertical surfaces and liquids as long as you don't end your turn on them. At third level, you choose your monastic tradition and gain the ability to deflect missiles. And you uh, use your reaction to catch or deflect a solid physical missile that's launched at you, so a like a crossbow bolt or an arrow. And you reduce the damage you take from it when you deflect it. And if you reduce it to zero, you can catch it and spend a key point to throw it back. And you use your uh, martial arts die for the damage die. And you have proficiency no matter what. Oh no, it counts as a monk weapon, sorry. It doesn't, you don't use your martial arts die. 
At fourth level, you can reduce falling damage you take. At fifth level, you get an extra attack. So at this point, you, if you use your flurry of blows, you're hitting four times at fifth level. Uh, you also get stunning strike at fifth level, where you can use your key point to stun an enemy until your next turn. At sixth level, your unarmed strikes count as magical. At seventh level, you gain an evasion ability, which is something that Rogue also gets, where uh, attacks that let you take half damage from a dexterity saving throw if you succeed, and full damage if you fail. Monks take half damage if they if they fail, and no damage if they succeed. At seventh level, you can use your action to end a charm or frighten effect. At tenth level, you become immune to disease and poison. At 13th level, you understand all languages, <laughs> all spoken languages. At 14th level, you gain proficiency on all saving throws, and you can spend your key to re-roll failed saving throws. At 15th level, you get Timeless Body, which is kind of like uh, the um, ageless ability that druids have, where they age much slower, but the timeless body is that you can still die of old age, and you don't need food and water, but you can't be aged magically. At 18th level, you can turn invisible using your key points, and you can use more key points to cast astral projection, which is pretty cool. And then at 20th level, if you have no key points when you roll initiative, you gain four. So... A lot of it is just this. The monk is very much themed after the monks of the martial artist monks of China and Japan and East Asia in general. <clears throat> Mostly China is, I think, what we get in pop culture here in the states. But um, you could absolutely, I think, reskin some of the monastic traditions to be like a European monk. It wouldn't be as fitting, but you could do it. I guess, if you really want the European monks instead of Eastern. But uh, the monastic traditions really open up the Eastern style of monk. So monk has six. Three in the player's handbook, three in Xanathar's guide. And the first one we have is the way of the open hand. And this is all about tripping up your opponents. Um... You can impose, when you hit with flurry of blows, you can knock stuff prone, you can push it away from you, and you can stop it from taking reactions. You can uh, heal yourself. Once per long rest, you can heal yourself equal to three times your monk level. So that at level, when you get that feature at level six, it's heal 18 hit points right away. Once per long rest. Pretty good. At 11th level, you get Tranquility, which lets you uh, gain the effect of Sanctuary. And then at 17th level, you get the Quivering Palm. When you hit a creature with an Unarmed Strike, you can spend three key points to start imperceptible vibrations. They are harmless unless you use your action to end them. And if you do so, and the target's on the same plane of existence as you, they make a Constitution saving throw. And if they fail, they go to zero hit points. And if they succeed, they take 10d10 necrotic damage. 
<laughs> you can also end them harmlessly. So this is kind of like that, uh, um, the finger of death or whatever stuff that we see in old kung fu movies. Uh, so the so the open hand monk is very much that. Um, if you watch like old martial arts films from China and Hong Kong, where you have these monks doing all this crazy stuff, this is that's that this is that monk. <laughs> this is the Shaolin monk. This is the uh, uh, crouching tiger, hidden dragon, ancient techniques monk. Well, actually, that's probably more the Kensai because they use weapons. But um, this is like your old master with the Fu Manchu, who is looks old and decrepit but is fast and strong and destroys everyone the quivering palm is the bushi finger hold <laughs> uh, next we have the way of the shadow which is um more like a ninja i think than even the assassin rogue uh so you get shadow arts which lets you use your key points to cast spells so you can cast darkness dark vision pass without trace or silence and you can cast Minor Illusion without using your key points. You get an ability called Shadow Step, which if you are in Dim Light or Darkness, you can teleport up to 60 feet into Dim Light or Darkness. And you have advantage on the first melee attack you make after doing so on that turn. So if you do that before attacking, you have advantage. Unless you just surprise attack people. Um, this is a really good ability, now that I think about it more mechanically. If you're playing a, a campaign where a lot of your adventuring is done in dungeons or in the Underdark, you're, you can basically have advantage all the time, because you can be teleporting around and uh, just shadow-stepping, because there's no limit to your use of it, so you can just use it every, every round, or shadow-step somewhere else on the battlefield, and make your character very, very hard to bring down four enemies that don't have spells or ranged attacks. At 11th level, you have the ability to turn invisible if you are in dim light or darkness. And at 17th level, you gain an ability called Opportunist, where whenever a creature is hit by one of your allies, if they're within five feet of you, you can use your reaction to hit them as well. So the Shadow Monk is very much the ninja. It's, um... I would... A lot of his abilities don't rely on making unarmed attacks, unlike some of the other monk archetypes. So for me, I would wave... If I was going to play Wave of the Shadow, I would use a monk weapon. And I would be an armed monk. I would make him a ninja, basically. <laughs> um, the monk class is very much there for someone who wants to play an anime character but doesn't want to go online and get a homebrew character class that makes them an anime character because those are usually busted. Either they're busted in that they're overpowered or they're busted in that they actually suck. So <laughs> there's not a lot of make your character Deku that isn't uh, really, really overpowered or underpowered. Very rarely balanced. And then finally in the player's handbook, we have the Way of the Four Elements. This is for you to be the Avatar. <laughs> you gain a bunch of uh, elemental disciplines, and you learn them at uh, 6th, 11th, and 17th level. So you start with, what is it?
So you pick Elemental Attunement, and then you get one more. So you get, uh... So you get the Elemental Attunement, Elemental Discipline, and then you get to pick one other one. And then you get one more at 611, 17th level. So that's all they get. All of their features that the Way of the Four Elements get are Elemental Disciplines. They don't get anything else. Um, elemental Attunement lets you control elemental forces. You can choose to um, create sensory effects related to the elements, so like puffs of wind, sprays of mist, rumbling of stone. Um, you can instantaneously light or snuff out a candle, torch, or small campfire. You can chill or warm up non-living material. You can cause earth fire, water, or mist that can fit within a one-foot cube to shape itself into a form of your of your design for one minute. So it's kind of dumb. <laughs> uh, and then there's a bunch of other ones. You've got... Uh, some of them have level requirements. So, like, um, you have to be 17th level to get Breath of Winter, which lets you use your key points to cast Cone of Cold. 6th level lets you cast use your key points to cast Hold Person with Clench of the North Wind. Uh, and you get so you get a total of four elemental disciplines, excluding uh, elemental attunement, and excluding elemental attunement, there are sixteen. So you only get a few. You don't get very many. You can also replace ones that you know with a different one. And I would rule as a dungeon master at that after 17th level you can swap out an elemental discipline after a long rest it's not in the rules but once you hit 17th level you're stuck with what you chose and until that point you can swap things out so i would i, do, I wouldn't want to get rid of the ability to swap things out for my player just because they're done leveling and getting features um Technically, the rules say that once you hit 17 level, you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. But personally, I would say, yeah, after you hit 17 level, you can swap one out per long rest. But that's just me. Uh, but you have there's a lot. I don't want to go into the details of every single one, because it will take a long time. <laughs> but there are air, water, earth, and fire-themed spells that you learn. So you you just become the avatar. You can use those four elements to... To cast spells, it's some of the features don't have spells, um, like shape of the flowing river, which lets you use one key point to uh, change the water to ice within an area, or vice versa. You can raise or lower the ice's elevation, um, create or fill a trench, elect, erect or flatten a wall, form a pillar. Um, they just can't exceed the uh, volume of the water or ice. So that's not a spell. That's just an ability that you have. You can water bend. Um, there's a way to punch the air. Like one of them fits to the unbroken air lets you spend your key points to uh, basically punch the air and then they take bludgeoning damage. <laughs> from far away um you can cast gust of wind with rush of the gale spirit you can cast wall of fire with river of hungry flame you basically become you're just the avatar i've said that like three times and that's just the way it is is the way of the four elements lets you become the avatar
It's also kind of looking at it, I feel like it's kind of weak, but that's just me. So let me go over to Xanathar's Guide, which gives us the Drunken Master, the Kensai, and the Sun Soul. So the Drunken Master is um, really fun. My brother played a Drunken Master in a campaign, and you don't actually have to be drunk to get Drunken Master features. Um, <laughs> you gain proficiency with uh, brewer supplies and performance when you choose this monastic tradition. And also at third level, you gain the Drunken Technique, which whenever you use Flurry of Blows, you get plus 10 walking speed, and you can use Disengage. <laughs> and even though you already used your bonus action, you can still Disengage. So the Drunken Master is, you want to be going in, using Flurry of Blows, and then getting out. And because you have that plus 10 movement speed from... The Drunken Technique, and you have the increased movement speed from the standard Monk feature, and if you play a race that has a higher movement speed, or you do um, something else to give you increased movement speed, like a feat, I think there's a feat that gives you more movement speed, you can basically just be everywhere really fast all the time. Uh, you also get, at 6th level, you get the ability, you get a feature called Tipsy Sway, which lets you stand up from being prone by only using half, or 5 feet, rather than half your movement speed. And then you can, you get Redirect Attack, where if a creature misses you with a melee attack, you can spend a key point to redirect their attack into another ally, well, another attacker. Or another creature other than the attacker. So if you're surrounded by multiple creatures and one of them misses you, you can deflect their attack into one of their allies. Alternatively, if you have like a cleric in your party who's playing Tempest Domain, you can be like, hey buddy, I'm going to deflect this attack into my ally. So then you just deflect it into the Tempest cleric who gets hit and then uses their... Um, Tempest Cleric ability to strike them with a bolt of lightning. Just kind of screw them over. Uh, at 11th level, you get Drunkard's Luck, which lets you use your key points to cancel disadvantage. So if something would give you disadvantage on an ability track, attack, roll, saving throw, you can spend your key points to not have disadvantage anymore. Ooh, excuse me. Um... At 17th level, you get Intoxicated Frenzy, which is the best ability that the Drunken Master gets. When you use Flurry of Blows, you can destroy groups of enemies. So if you have multiple enemies around you, instead of making two additional uh, attacks with Flurry of Blows, you can make up to five assuming each one hits a different enemy. So if you're surrounded by thugs or something, you can just do, 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 and hit them all. It'd be really nice if you could use all of them on one target, but that's not the way. That would be too good. Next we have the Kensai Monk, and these are the monks that are trained with their weapons. So like I mentioned earlier, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, think that. Think the fight scene where uh, they're fighting in the, mo in the dojo, in the monastery, and she just uses every damn weapon that she has over the course of that fight. 
Which the other woman she's fighting just uses, uh, what's the sword called? The Jade Dragon, I think is what it's called. But uh, she just uses that because that sword is amazing and magical. But anyways, so the Kensai can make weapons into Kensai weapons. And they can be any simple or martial weapon that lacks the heavy and that lacks the heavy and special properties. That doesn't make sense. The longbow is a valid choice, I guess. And you gain proficiency with those weapons if you don't already have it. They're monk weapons for you. And most of the features of the Kensai monk only work with your Kensai weapons. And you can have a certain number of weapons set as Kensai weapons. Uh, two weapons at 3rd level, 3 at 6th, 4 at 11th, 5 at 17th. And you get a few features right away. You get Agile Parry, which if you make an unarmed strike as part of your attack action, and you're holding a Kensai weapon, you can use it to defend yourself. So you get plus 2 AC. And that's for if it's a melee weapon. If it's a ranged weapon, you can use your bonus action to make your ranged attacks more deadly. So they take extra damage. And then uh, you gain proficiency with your choice of calligrapher's supplies or painter's supplies. At 6th level, you extend your key into your Kensai weapon. Uh, your attacks count as magical. And if you hit an enemy with your with a Kensai weapon, you can spend a key point to have it deal extra damage equal to your martial arts die. And that's once each turn you can do that. Uh, 11th level, you get Sharpen the Blade, which lets you expend your uh, key points, three key points to give your Kensai, your Kensai weapon a bonus equal to the number of key points you spent. Oh, it's up to three. So basically, you can spend up to three key points to give your weapon plus X until your next turn, where X is the number of key points you spend. And you, But you can't use it on magic weapons that already have that bonus. And then at 17th level, you if you miss with an attack roll using a monk weapon, you can re-roll it once per turn. That's pretty good. So the, the Kensai Monk is that weapon master. It's more like a fighter, I think, than some of the other uh, monastic traditions, but it's not a fighter in that they just kind of hit things and are good with weapons. This is like a master, like one with the blade. I think it's pretty... It's, I think it's one of the coolest monk traditions. Like, that and Drunken Master are, in my opinion, the two coolest, but that's just me. <laughs> And then finally, we have the way of the Sun Soul. And the Sun Soul is the I-want-to-be-an-anime-character monk tradition. Because what Sun Soul does is, at third level, you can shoot searing bolts of light. <laughs> so it's a new attack. It uses your martial arts die. You make a ranged spell attack with it. And it deals... You can spend a key point to uh, do it twice. It looks like, yeah, if you only want to do it one time, then you don't have to use any key. You can you can only you only have to use key if you want to use it again as a bonus action. 
And when you gain extra attack, you can use it for your second attack. So when you... Basically, you can shoot three beams of light using your bonus action and spending a key point. Um, at sixth level, you can spend two key points to cast Burning Hands. At eleventh level, you can shoot an orb of light that blows up. You hurl it at a point within 150 feet, and then it explodes. <laughs> uh, everything within 20 feet makes a constitution saving throw or takes 2d6 radiant radiation damage. And if they're behind cov- total cover that they can't see through, then uh, they don't take any damage. And then you can increase the sphere's damage by spending key points up to a maximum of 3. And each point increases it by 2d6. So it's all so it's 2d6 and you can spend up to 3 to make it um, 46 5 or 66 or if you spend all 3 8d6. And then at 17th level, you can as a bonus action, you become wreathed in uh, light for a 30-foot radius and dim light for 30 feet more. And if a creature hits you while you have your light shining, they take... You can use your reaction to deal radiant damage to them, 5 plus your wisdom modifier. So you basically become a vessel of light that shoots out searing bolts of light and uh, can glow. <laughs> So those are the monks' traditions in the first two books. Like I said, a lot of I've seen a lot of people talking about monk and talking about how it's kind of weak, it's kind of dumb, but I think it's neat. I think that having a developed um, monastery and a developed master for the monastery and working dm and player together to really develop that monastery and give it a place in the world is something that both dms and players should be very eager to do because doing it gives you a wealth of opportunities for role playing for um, side adventures just stuff to do and like you know your, your players are adventuring for a while and then um, in between adventures like, you know, like, all right, I have one adventure that's part of the, the main story, and then, but I'm not quite ready for the next one yet. You can have a messenger come and deliver a message to the monk in your party that they need to return to the monastery. And you can be like, oh, the monastery's under attack, or the master betrayed the monastery and they need to gather the monks to figure out what to do, or something was stolen from the monastery. And your monk player who now has this relationship with these other adventurers brings them along to help. And it's, it's just a phenomenal way to just give yourself a bunch of content. And it's content that has to do with a player's backstory. And in my opinion, as a dungeon master, finding ways to bring your character's backstories into your game as part of your adventure is a really great experience because it the players love it the player who's playing that character loves it it's it's a phenomenal opportunity to really include your players in your game in more ways than they're playing the game so monk just opens the door to that very very well 
uh, one of the best ones. I mean, every class has it. Every class has past relationships and people that taught them and a backstory that has to do specifically with their class, not just with their race and personality and stuff. But the monk just gives you a few extra tools with theirs, kind of like the warlock. And we'll talk about that a lot when I get to warlock about patrons. But um, it's it's monk's great. I think monk's underrated. I think monk is... Not a super powerful class, but unless your table is a table where everything needs to be at its most efficient because the DM is trying to actively kill you, Monk has a place. <laughs> That's all I've got for this week. Next week we'll delve into the Paladin. And yeah, that's where we're at for Monk. And keep on delving. We'll see you next week.